UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. How do you know if something is true? Yeah, I know the Bible is truth. Yes, we know that. But if we're honest, sometimes it's misquoted to give credence to falsehood, isn't it? So how do you know if something is true? All those conspiracy theories and accusations of fake news. I mean, were they Trump supporters or Antifa that invaded the capital? Did the Russians subvert, well, if truth be told, any number of campaigns? Was there a chip in the vaccine? And does the media have a bias against... Well, you could probably fill that blank in for yourself as well, couldn't you? If the truth will set us free... Surely truth will also bring balance to society, address injustice, give accuracy to our perspective and protection against prejudice and discrimination. So how do you know if something is true? With all those deep fake videos and the tech that can clone voices, allegedly, it's not just about Audrey Hepburn appearing in an advert for chocolate, is it? And if the Bible tells us to test doctrine and preachers and spirits and angels and even, in a sense, to test it, should we be a people led by the nose in the rest of life? What role does spiritual discernment play in being a people of truth? We've called this week's programme Don't Believe Everything You Hear – And it's fair to say that Paul Woolley, CEO of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, has been navigating this difficult path of discerning truth through the mist since his days at Theos. He is my guest. Has much changed, Paul, in the, well, what was it, 2005 when you started Theos? And is, is it, is truth and fakery very different now? Uh, Paul, it's really good to be with you. Um, It was 2005, and I think the thing that has really changed has been social media. Um, As I look back to 2005, it is an extraordinary thing to think that Twitter wasn't on the scene until a year later, March 2006. Facebook had only been on the scene for a few months. And therefore, the, the context, the landscape has changed very dramatically. I remember when Theos was launched, on the day that it was launched, we were keen to generate publicity around it. And I remember going to the news agents in order to buy up the morning papers to see if we had succeeded in getting some media traction. And uh, the idea now of doing that, going to the news agents to pick up the, the, the paper news, the paper press, Uh, to see whether we have made uh, traction on the media is is a remarkable thing. So I think that that is what fundamentally has changed. And um, I would argue that that social media, for all the benefits that it has, it also has some some real problems associated with it. Um, It causes addiction and isolation and depression and anxiety. It can humiliate human psychology. It heightens divisions in society. And it can spread fake news and disinformation. And as a result of that, we have to be all the more discerning in the way that we navigate what we encounter, uh, the news that we consume. So I think the the challenge is that much greater because of social media, that the effect of fake news 
can be that much greater because the reach of social media is so wide. Whether fundamentally human nature has changed, I'm, I'm not sure it has. I think fake news has always been a thing. Mm. It's just that we're experiencing it in a way that is new, perhaps to an intensity that is new. I suppose you could even say fake news has been a thing right since the beginning when the serpent said to Eve, you will not die if you eat the... Because fundamentally, fake news is falsehood, isn't it? It is, it is misrepresentation. It is lies. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think absolutely you could make a case that, you know, in the Garden of Eden, we see the first uh, manifestation of what fake news looks like. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that you, you, you have the serpent uh, speaking to Eve and then Eve speaking to Adam. I love that joke, by the way, that uh, uh, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent and the serpent, he, he just didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> um, but you're, you're right. Uh, it, 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 go, it goes back to that and our, 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 our human nature, the human condition, that, that we have a propensity to uh, speak untruth, to communicate a distorted version of reality. Um, and of course, the challenge of Jesus to us is to discover that in the person of Jesus, there is absolute truth. Of course, the problem often is when absolute truth gets into our hands, it becomes provisional, uh, it becomes distorted. Um, but that is something that we have to navigate. And the context, I think, just makes the challenge that bit greater. So is there a difference in how we approach the reality of fake news, propaganda, however we define it, conspiracy theories, because the way in which media is delivered now, does that mean that we have to be different in the way that we approach it? Or are the principles of discerning truth the same as they've always been? Yeah, I would say fundamentally the principles are as they've always been. I think the issue with social media and therefore the impact that that has had on the media as a whole and particularly on the news media is that there is this uh, tendency uh, to, to want to react quickly to that which we come across. And, and similarly, on the part of news providers, there is a sense that you know, very quickly, uh, well, they're seeking to generate content all the time. And very quickly, the, the news is no longer news because they've moved on to the next thing. And therefore, if you're going to respond to it and engage with it, the sort of challenges, you kind of have to do that quickly. Uh, but the problem with that is often reacting quickly means that we aren't sufficiently checking the source and thinking and reflecting on the issues that we're presented with. So I think that that sort of raises the stakes. It just makes it practically more challenging. But the fundamental tools to discern, to check multiple sources, to consult with others, to consult with those that have um, expertise in a particular area is, is really important. I'm, I'm aware that, uh, you know, from time to time, I will, particularly this happens actually on, on the radio, but um, that's probably because I, I, I'm more um, prone to... to uh, engage with radio than, than television or, or even some online stuff. But with radio, I, I will, if I hear a news report about something that I know a bit about, 
I often realize that it's it's not quite like that, that that is uh, flawed in some way, or it's a very distorted perspective of what I happen to know is actually going on. Um, so that then makes me think, well, if that is true for the few things that I know a bit about, mm. what about the majority of things that really I know nothing about? And I think that should require us not therefore to um, get to a position where we simply reject out of hand that which we hear, because actually there are dangers associated with that. But it should lead us to be discerning. It should lead us not to react too quickly to that which we think is being presented as fact. Uh, we should seek to re research a subject, compare new sources uh, in order to get uh, a sense of, of what the issues actually are and therefore what our appropriate response is. So rather than nailing our colours to the mast too quickly in response to something, actually pause and think it through, reflect on it, perhaps, as you say, explore it a little more, research it, hear other voices. Because finding other voices is not always easy. And I wonder, I mean, particularly, we have had a lot over the last uh, year and a bit, we've had a lot of conspiracy theories based around the vaccine that was rolled out in response to COVID. And, and some of those theories have included ideas about controlling our ability to worship and, and all stuff like that. Now, I wonder how many churches and church leaders felt they needed to step forward and actually speak into that thought, that theory. Do Should we be, as church leaders, more willing to actually stand up and say, so this is being said, here's what I've discovered, these are my thoughts? Well, I think there is uh, a role that we have to encourage people to, to think carefully about issues, uh, to encourage people to research issues properly in order to arrive at a, a, a right and, and balanced view of a particular subject. And I think also there's a responsibility on us to help people, to equip people to disagree well, um, to disagree lovingly with others if we do come to a position where we're in disagreement with someone else. That there is a danger that church leaders can kind of take on a priestly role and become the arbiters of truth. And of course, church leaders are as flawed as anyone else in terms of their understanding of issues. So I think we've got to be careful that we don't load too much onto the shoulders of church leaders, and we don't almost avoid doing the hard work ourselves because we're simply relying on someone else to decide for us. But I do think you know part of the function of church leaders is that in equipping people to be disciples of Jesus in their everyday lives, one of the ways that we can equip people to do that is how do we navigate mm. what appears to be an increasingly complex and divisive and polarized world? How do we work out what is true in a culture where increasingly that seems confused or that seems relative? Um, so I think that's the role that that we, we have to take. And I think it is um, difficult. I think often... Uh, you know, the, the context is such that we can assume something is the case quickly. There's quite a good example of this uh, recently with the, the awful 
racist uh, comment and uh, attacks that have been made on uh, some of the England squad uh, playing. Uh, and what was interesting through that um, awful uh, experience that those players had was people very quickly jumped to conclusions or made comments about the state of race relations in Britain. Now, it could well be that the state of race relations in Britain is worse than we thought it was. But what is clearly the case is that a, a very significant number of those comments were coming from outside the UK. There's a report out that suggests that it was up to 70%. Now, the point there is just to show how quickly we can be quite sure of something. And then a few days passes and we realize that it's not quite what it was. Now, does that change fundamentally how abhorrent that abuse was? No, it doesn't. Should that change at all our commitment to addressing it and rooting it out in football and elsewhere in society? Of course it doesn't. But it should help us to kind of navigate this. And it is quite a good object lesson in understanding that sometimes what appears to be the case, i.e. all of these comments came from within the UK, and therefore the UK is increasingly racist. Actually, when it came to it, and we discovered 70% of the comments came from outside the UK, it just gives us another bit of information that yeah. perhaps helps us not only understand what's going on, but more to the point, address what's going on. So I think that's a kind of interesting example of something that's happened pretty recently. And it does show to us the importance of pausing and taking a look and perhaps rather than church leaders pontificating about this stuff maybe to create spaces where people can have meaningful conversations about it and explore the possible realities rather than just assume that we know what's going on you're listening to ucb life issues i'm paul hammond my guest today is paul woolley paul is well one of the founders of theos the think tank but is currently the ceo of licc the london institute for contemporary christianity he's my guest today as we consider truth and how we discern it and how we perhaps shouldn't believe everything we hear. And I want to take you back to something you alluded to just a couple of moments ago, this idea that we hear stuff. And I think it happens for a lot of us when we hear secular media talking about faith and particularly about the Bible or what the Bible says. And you hear stuff said, and as you say, when you know a little bit about the subject, you perhaps think, yeah, they've got the wrong end of the stick. We do have to recognize that most media carries a bias, whether that's necessarily a bad thing or not. It's not always a negative bias, but most media will carry some form of bias, won't it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in some ways, that's not a negative thing at all, provided we recognize it and provided that media is upfront about it. This has existed for a long time in the newspaper industry. You know, we knew historically that if you, we wanted a left of centre view on a particular issue, the places to go would be The Guardian, for example, or The Independent. Uh, we would know that if you wanted a right of centre view on something, the place to go would be The Daily Telegraph. Um, possibly you might go to The Times. Um, and you'd know that there are other newspapers that, you know, might drift to the left or the right, depending on what was happening at any particular point in, in the political scene. 
Um, so that's always existed. And, and what's going on there is that obviously nobody stands nowhere. We all have a particular perspective on the world, on how it works, on how to make the world better, on how government can be best organised. And therefore, when we're talking about the news or reporting the news, as well as when we're giving our opinion about something, of course, that is going to reflect some of the assumptions that we have about the world and the way it works and what's good. I think sometimes the problem is that when it comes to other media outlets, I think this is probably particularly true in the digital space and also in terms of broadcast media, that there can be assumption that a particular media organisation is, is neutral uh, when it's not. So, for example, it is generally accepted to be the case, and there is some research that would indicate this, that if you were to take, for example, the BBC, um, if you were to take those that work for the BBC and ask them about um, religious faith, there would be a higher proportion in the BBC that do not have any religious faith or would not claim to have any religious faith compared with the population as a whole. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, at the very least, that's interesting. Mm. Um, but there would be a tendency, perhaps, sometimes on the part of BBC or it could be other broadcasters to suggest that, you know, that they're entirely neutral when it comes to these things. Well, of course, that's not the case. If, if, you, if you have an organisation where the majority of people have quite a different view of the world and, and don't allow for the fact that, that, that God might exist and be involved in the world in some way, um, and that that is a reality, then of course that's going to affect the way that you report things. Um, I came across recently, actually, that it's a minority of RE teachers that have a religious faith. Now, if that is the case, that's quite surprising too, but the point is that people are coming at issues and they're living in the world not from a neutral perspective, but with a particular worldview, a particular framing of the world. I think we have to we have to recognise that, and and therefore we have to sort of engage accordingly. We sh we shouldn't always assume that the other is wrong and that we are right, because part of what we need to do is critique our own view. And I think one of the things that is really important for us as Christians is that we do talk with one another, particularly where we disagree about mm. issues. You know, if I have a particular view of something and there is a, another Christian who has a very different view of that, it is really important that I learn to, to disagree well and lovingly with that other Christian to understand why do they think the world is as it is? Why have they arrived at that particular view? And am I wrong? Is my understanding wrong? So I think there's, there's a role for humility in that as, as, as truth seekers. I mean, fundamentally, that is what we should be. We should be people who are seeking the truth, seeking to understand the world as it really is, not as perhaps I'd like it to be or as I think it is. It does seem to be the case that we are, we're suggesting that a lot of how we deal with fake news and discerning truth actually comes first and foremost from a desire within us to know truth, to not simply be led by the nose and yet there's a part of us which well there are more than a few people in the church who are inclined to look at something like papers like the daily mail and assume that they are always correct 
Now, I'm not saying that they're always wrong, but there is a very obvious and a very real bias, as you've described, in that particular media, much as there is in UCB. I mean, let's be honest about it. UCB operates from the basis of believing that God is relevant to the world and that, that he does make a difference in the world. So, you know, we all have our own biases. But the danger is when we, we almost show deference to a media institution or deference to an institution in a way that means we don't ask the questions about the bias that is there. Um, I thought as a culture we had kind of abandoned automatic deference, hadn't we? Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think in a way, as a culture, we've become a little bit more like the the Puritans of the past. I mean, if 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 we ever thought that truth didn't matter, at least in some ways, what we observe on social media would suggest that people um, think truth really matters, i.e. that if you don't see something my way, which obviously automatically is the right way, then there's something wrong with you and you are wrong. You know, people, the fact people get so exercised um, by a lot of this stuff suggests that you know, truth is is something that's contested and people contest it for a reason because it matters. And it's interesting what you say because you're right. I mean, often, you know, I can be uh, listening to people who are perhaps in leadership positions within the church and depending on the day, it can sound as if basically the sermon has just come from a Guardian editorial um, <laughs> or it's come from the Daily Mail. It just, there's, and, and I think that the kind of the challenge if you like, to both groups is to say, you know, we've got to get beyond this. Uh, you know, we, we, what is it that is distinctively Christian, distinctively Christ-centered, authentically Christ-centered about what you're saying and how you're trying to understand this issue? I think often we're a bit lazy in just basically conforming to a set of prejudices. And, and the, you know, it's as easy for those prejudices to be on the left or on the right. But, you know, the, the news is, uh, and obviously this is shocking news to, to some of us, but, you know, God is not on the left. God is not on the right. You know, God transcends all of that stuff. Um, all of that stuff is, is, is provisional. What's not provisional is the person of, of God who's been made known in Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life. So if we want to... If we want to navigate that world, uh, we need to try and acquire the mind of Christ. And and that's not always straightforward. And historically, um, and we, both on a, a, a national and sometimes even a global level, as well as an individual and personal level, historically, there are many examples of people of faith, followers of Jesus, who actually looked at the world from that basis that first and foremost, God's word, God's truth, God's reality, that's the foundation I stand on. And as a consequence, I'm not willing to simply be led by the nose. So you may create a narrative that says slavery is acceptable, but I am going to oppose it. You may create a narrative that says poverty is acceptable and that, that people can just be left to get on with it or be stuck in a poor house somewhere, but I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to work to create a better balance in society. I'm going to work to for a, a different truth that is based on God's truth. Is it is it laziness or is it that we have just become beaten down 
that means we seem to be more willing to be sucked into the conspiracy theories, the falsehoods, the fake news, the social media echo chambers. Yeah, well, I think we all feel a bit beaten up. We all feel a bit worn down, don't we? And particularly when we spend any time in, in, in the so social media space. Uh, John Stott, who founded LICC, he talked about double listening or really triple listening. He talked about the importance of listening to scripture, of listening to culture, the wider world, and also listening to the church. And I think there is a huge amount of wisdom in that as we seek as followers of Jesus in 2021 to navigate the world and to navigate what is true and, and what isn't. Um, now, of course, scripture needs interpreting. So I've done a fair bit of research looking at the way that the Bible has been used in the campaign against the slave trade. And, and what's really striking in that is that there were Christians who were having to argue against some other Christians that slavery was wrong. And there were a group who were trying to use the Bible to justify slavery. Now, that should give us pause for thought in that sometimes we assume that what we think about what the Bible says is what the Bible says. And that's why it's so important to engage in a bigger conversation with other Christians who are seriously about trying to interpret the Bible authentically, to interpret the Bible on its own terms rather than our terms into a contemporary culture. Now, that, that's sometimes going to be controversial. You know, people will come to quite different views on particular aspects of Scripture. But, but the challenge of Jesus is for us to immerse ourselves in scripture and to acquire his mind, to acquire the mind of Christ in order that we might better navigate. At the same time, we need to listen to the concerns and the questions of our contemporary culture in order that we might know how to respond, but often also because sometimes those questions and those concerns should help us and shape us to a better understanding of, of the text. So I think this is a, a dynamic process. It's not always straightforward, but ultimately it is life-giving. And ultimately that is what we're called to. And part of the problem, I suppose, in that is if everybody who misinterprets scripture, who uses scripture to create a false narrative, to justify something that is not in keeping with the heart of God, if every one of them did it because they were being malevolent and malicious, and, and you know, it'd be helpful if they had horns and a tail as well. But if that was the case, then it'd be a lot easier to, to just stand against it. But of course, very often, the people who espouse these ideas, we may believe they are wrong, but they sincerely believe they are right. They believe they are following God's pattern in their lives. They believe that they are serving his kingdom. Um, it's hard yeah, to get I mean, that, that's, to the bottom of that, isn't it? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. And and that that's the scale of the challenge. I don't think any of us think what we think, thinking that we're wrong. <laughs> or it's wrong, or, or we're being kind of deceitful, you know, we think what we do, we have the views that we have, we live in the way that we do, 
because we think that that is right. It's the better way. I mean, as a parent, a parent, my children, we parent our children in in the way we think is best. Now, I know um, because I, although they're not that old, they're old enough for me to know that, you know, we haven't always got that right and we make mistakes, but you don't go out of your way to do it wrong. You seek to do it right. And I think that's true then when we come to these issues. But I think that is where humility probably more than anything else is important. That, you know, we may think something very strongly and we may be right, um, but we always need to be humble enough to recognize that if there is someone else who we respect, who we acknowledge is serious about loving God and loving their neighbor as themselves, if they have a different view to the one that we hold, it's at the very least worth listening to and it's worth understanding because Jesus takes that really seriously. I mean, I think that's what Jesus is talking about, about being united um, as the body of Christ, which doesn't mean, I mean, unity does not mean that we agree with each other about absolutely everything, but unity is something more fundamental than that that allows us to disagree well. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's that's the challenge ahead of us. But are there lines then which need to be drawn in the sand that can never be uh, argued with, can never be disagreed with? Are there there absolute points where it's not about a difference of opinion or a difference of interpretation, but actually the whole thing rises or falls on this? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, this was sort of has been likened before, hasn't it, to, you know, it's it's, as if we're playing a game of football or whatever your preferred sport is. And, you know, when you're playing any game, um, often, particularly if it's a field thing like football or cricket or whatever, there are there's a boundary. Um, there are lines. Um, and and if you go outside those lines, you're, you're no longer playing that game. I mean, you might be playing another game, but you're no longer playing football if you're wanting to take the ball and kind of walk into the town centre. You're no longer playing cricket if you kind of, you know, pick up your bat and you kind of set up the pitch, you know, somewhere else. Um, so I think absolutely there are boundaries. And really for, you know, almost 2000 years, um, I suppose that's what the creeds are, aren't they? That they, they set out, look, these are, the, these are the boundaries in which we play the game. And uh, Jesus Christ is really important in terms of that boundary. Uh, you know, who the person of Jesus is. Now, there's an awful lot that isn't um, to do with that question that we can disagree about. But fundamentally, if we're serious about being Christians, then we've got to seek to be Christ-centered, got to recognize who Jesus is, and our our challenge um, is to acquire His mind and to seek to be His people. Um, and and you know, I I would say that that goes with something like the resurrection. That you know, for me, um, if if the resurrection did not happen, then the Christian faith, as I understand it, is 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 a very different Christian faith. It's 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 not as I understand it to be. So I would say there are some, if you like, posts in the ground, but within then those boundaries, we play the game, we live life. Uh, we seek to follow Jesus with all of our life and we seek to work through some of these contested issues. 
You're listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond. My guest is Paul Woolley. He's the CEO of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And it's always a pleasure to chat about these sorts of things with Paul. Today, we are looking at the idea of truth and how we discern truth and whether discernment and the biblical principle of testing things actually applies beyond the bounds of the church. Because it is right, isn't it, to say that there is a biblical injunction to us to test all things. Testing is a biblical principle, even to the point of an angel turns up and tells you A, B, and C. Don't just accept it as face value. Test it and determine whether or not it is truth. So presumably that applies then to the sermons that our preachers preach because just because it's your church leader, they're still human like the rest of us. They can still get it wrong. But does that also apply outside of the church? I mean, can we actually look for that sense of of a plumb line to be held against the things that the world says, a discernment to be applied to the calls of our politicians, the messages of the social media influencers the whoever it may be that we come into contact with yeah i think it absolutely does i think it's in uh, thessalonians one thessalonians where paul talks about holding fast hold fast to that which is good test everything and i think that that is um as true in our time as scattered church outside our, our gathered church context as it is within our gathered church context um, and we need to test the truth of those in positions of power. One of the things that I think has changed reasonably recently has been, I think, in the past, politicians were very concerned to be seen to be telling the truth and to ensure that they were being consistent and what they were saying could be backed up by the evidence. I think there have been times in more recent years, both nationally and globally, where that has seemed to be less of concern, partly because some politicians think they can just get away with it. So you just say whatever you want to say, and you say it's true and insist on it being true, and are often unwilling, in fact, to um, uh, be shown to be wrong or admit you're wrong in light of the evidence that is presented to you. So all the time. Yeah, we should be doing that. And, and we have a, a responsibility to do that. You know, we do not believe as Christians um, that um, Caesar or the president or the prime minister is Lord and Savior of the world. In the first century, Caesar presented himself as being Lord, um, as being Savior, um, as being divine. And of course, the claim of the early Christians was uh, a challenge to that. The early Christians said, no, Caesar, you are not divine. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Uh, Caesar, you are not the bearer of good news. Jesus is the bearer of good news. Well, what applied then also applies today, um, that ultimately our allegiance, our loyalty isn't to those in people in positions of power. Actually, it's not to those in positions of power, whether they're in or outside the church. Our loyalty is to the person and to the Lordship of Jesus. So as we seek to acquire the mind, we also seek then to test um, what our leaders outside the church are saying, those in positions of power and authority, 
and we seek to hold them to account. And actually, one of the functions of the church is to speak truth to power, that where we see that leaders, whatever their political persuasion is, are falling short or aren't addressing something seriously, uh, we should say so. Uh, we should ensure that they're, they're kept accountable. Um, and that is part of what it means to love God and our neighbour. So where do we find the plumb line that we hold against the wall to determine whether it is straight? How do we ensure that in assessing that we don't fall into the trap of judging? And what do we say to church leaders, perhaps most obviously on the other side of the pond rather than ours, who were prepared to ignore the blatant falsehoods of a politician because he appeared to support them in some other areas. Let's just yeah. unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, we have to be we have to be bigger than that. Whatever the context is, whether we're in the United Kingdom, the United States, or whether we're in South Sudan or South Africa or wherever it is. Um, I think, first and foremost, we, we're not going to get there just by trying harder. I think, you know, often for most of us, most sermons that we engage with each Sunday are try harder. <laughs> and the, the reality is that that isn't how we grow in, in Christ-likeness. If, if we're serious about being disciples of Jesus, we've, we've got to train as disciples of Jesus, we, we, we have to try, we have to, we have to um, make an effort. Um, by the way, you know, grace isn't opposed to efforts. Grace is opposed to the idea that we can earn uh, right, rightness before God. So Jesus invites us to train us as disciples. Well, how do we train to be disciples? Well, I think we look at the life of Jesus and what do we see that Jesus does? Well, Jesus spends time out talking with his father, listening to his father. He, he spends his life immersed in scripture and in conversation with scripture. He spends time fasting. Um, he spends time engaged in, in, in what, what we might consider today to be kind of social activism. Uh, he, he spends time being quiet, being silent, and kind of being more contemplative. Now, there's some of the exercises that I think we're required to practice in order to train to be resilient, authentic disciples of Jesus. And I think as we engage in some of those practices, as we do those exercises, as we train to be disciples, train to be, if you like, Jesus's apprentices, and also as we do that with others within our church context, that is partly how we're going to be more like Jesus, how we're going to be able to have more of the mind of Jesus. And of course, the, the safeguard to me ever getting kind of that completely wrong and, and going off on my own is that I am rooted within a community where I am held accountable and where others can challenge me and I am open to that challenge. Now, that, you know, that, that's not straightforward. It's not easy, but it does seem to me that that is part of the answer to, to trying to see issues clearly and, and respond in a way that is, is authentically Christian. It is that triple listening again, isn't it? That actually we listen to God, to his word, to his truth, but also we listen to the church 
and the culture to ensure that what we are hearing, what we are interpreting, is tested against the received wisdom, if you like, so that we are prevented or at least protected from simply chasing down our own rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this really, I mean, potentially it's a very healthy dynamic that takes place. You know, we we come to scripture and we bring our own assumptions and our own view of the world to scripture. And hopefully as we engage with scripture, scripture changes us and our view of the world and our assumptions. And then as we live within our cultural settings, as we work on our front lines, then that's going to impact us. But also we're trying to be the people of God in those different spaces and places. So all the time, I think this posture of listening and learning is important. I'm, I'm really struck by the way that Jesus, you know, Jesus, who is Jesus, spends so much time, number one, choosing to get away from the crowd in order that he can spend time intentionally with his father, number one. And number two, have you ever noticed just how often Jesus asks questions of people, often asks questions maybe more than he um, answers <laughs> their questions? Yeah. And, and, and one of the, the reasons, I think, for that is he, he knows that that is a way to engage people in conversation uh, about what's true. And I, I think if, if we were more, uh, perhaps quicker, to be asking questions of our contemporary culture, rather than always being the first to give an answer, we might actually find that there is more opportunity to also then make our contribution. So I think that sort of that posture, that humility, that commitment to scripture and to, to, the, to, to the wider body um, of the church is really critical. We all know that you can't believe everything you read, everything you hear, everything that's posted on social media. And yet so often we find ourselves drawn into other people's falsehood, other people's ideas, other people's interpretations that down the road turn out to be perhaps not as wondrous new knowledge as we maybe thought they were. How do we protect ourselves from deception? How do we discern the truth? How do we speak truth, real truth to power rather than simply opinion to power and how do we bring the light of God's truth to bring freedom into the world? Maybe that is the key point that Paul is making to us today. That actually, the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to his word, the clearer we hear his voice, the truer we know his heart, the more we will be able to look at that which is around us and see when we test it against that plumb line, whether it is true or not. And of course, that starts by testing ourselves with that plumb line to see if our perspective is true or not. You've been listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond. My guest today, Paul Woolley from the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Paul, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Don't forget that you can hear this again as a podcast wherever you download yours or through the UCB Player app. And why not join me again next week for another Life Issues. Good night. <laughs>